Okay, did everybody get where they needed to go? Are we all good? Good. Okay, so we are uh, starting a new series We're, uh, in the uh, New Testament epistle uh, to the church at Philippi. Uh, to help us understand a little bit about that, we're going to look this morning at the story in Acts of the founding of that church, about how uh, God saw to it that that church got uh, started uh, and how he led the Apostle Paul and his team uh, there to, to, to do that work. Um, it's important for us to do this uh, partly because it helps us understand a little bit about uh, the nature of the letter that Paul will write to them. Uh, when we begin next week uh, in the uh, uh, book of Philippians, that book was written about 10 years or so after the events uh, that we're going to read about uh, this morning in Acts uh, chapter 16. So but before I do that, let me pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Lord, as we come to you today, we uh, confess um, our weakness and uh, our um, uh, inability uh, sometimes to really hear and know uh, the joy of the gospel. So I pray that you would help us with that today, give us confidence, give us freedom from fear, uh, freedom uh, from uh, uh, concern about reputation, uh, and I pray that you would captivate our hearts and minds uh, with the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ today. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 40. The text is in the bulletin and also up uh, on the screens behind me. Uh, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. In fact, uh, Philippi was the most Roman city in the world that wasn't Rome. Uh, it was settled by a large number of uh, retired uh, 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 soldiers uh, who had worked or who had fought uh, in, the, uh, in, in the Roman army. So it was the most Rome-like city uh, in the world. He says that we remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate uh, to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together there. What is a place of prayer and why would you look for that? Uh, in the first century, uh, the, uh, in cities where there were people who believed uh, in uh, the God of the Old Testament, uh, if there were enough men and enough families, they could form a synagogue. But if there weren't enough men, uh, they had prayer meetings, places where they would gather outside uh, and, and, and pray together. And so that's where there's no synagogue in Philippi, in Philippi and that's what uh, Paul and his uh, friends are doing on that Sabbath day. Uh, they've come uh, and found this place of prayer. And so it says they came and uh, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what, Paul, what, to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. 
She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was the day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, And have thrown us into prison. And do do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So it's a a pretty... uh, profound thing for us to see exactly what's going on here, because uh, what you see in these three encounters that Paul has with, uh, with Lydia, with uh, the uh, demon-possessed girl, and with uh, the jailer, the power of the gospel to come and change people forever. Uh, and it's not just that evangelism is getting done here. It's not just that the proclamation of the gospel is happening. Something else even in, 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 a, in a pretty profound and dynamic way is happening too. And that is a church is getting planted in a city where there had never been a church, where there had never been a gospel witness. And in fact, Philippi uh, is the first place on the continent of Europe where a church gets planted. Right, and so, so that that's a that's a pretty profound thing for us to see and to, to to unpack about this, right? And so, God obviously wanted there to be a church in Philippi, and He obviously wanted this group of people to be the ones to be in the original core group of the church. Now, um, 
27 years ago, I gathered a core group of people together to plant this church. And the reason why we did that is because at the time, Motorola, I have a Motorola phone. Motorola was, was going to be, it was going to have a 3,500 person office out in West Creek. You know, West Creek, that's, you know, Capital One and all that stuff, a great place to run and ride your bike. Uh, and they were going to move a, a giant facility here. And so it seemed like, you know, planting a church in the West End of Richmond would be a good thing because we'll scoop up all these Motorola executives and we'll have this great dynamic church. In fact, I joked with people that, you know, we shouldn't call it West End Presbyterian Church. We should call it Motorola Presbyterian Church. It's a good thing we didn't do that. <laughs> It's a a really good thing that we didn't do that since they never came, and I don't think they ever will, right? I I don't remember all the reasons why they didn't come, but they didn't, and I remember for years taking my kids out there to, to, uh, to West Creek before there was anything really out there, and we would run and ride bikes, and there was nothing out there for years, right? And yet a church got planted anyway, Right? So what, what the, the, it, out of what a set of human plans, a, a set of human understanding and a, an arrangement of things, uh, uh, God planted a church here in the West End of Richmond 27 years ago. Well, it's not unlike what, what uh, happens here. So in, 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 Paul and uh, Silas and his friends, uh, their intention was never to go to Philippi. Their intention was never uh, to go there. They were trying to go other places. And, and they were led there by the Spirit. We read that in, in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Don't know exactly what that means, but it, it, somehow or other, the Spirit of God stopped them from doing the work where they thought they were supposed to do it. And so... That didn't work out, speaking the word in Asia. And so when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, their plans were frustrated. They weren't able to go where they thought they should go. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go uh, on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, right? So, so they had all these plans. They had the, uh, I'm sure they had a thing worked out about where they were going to go and why it made sense to go where they were going to go, and God stopped them. He frustrated their plans. So there's, there's an obvious thing for us to take from that right there is that God frustrates our plans, sometimes, right? Right? Uh, and it's shocking when he does that, right? Because when he, when he frustrates our plans, especially these plans, right? They, they want to go preach the gospel. They want to do good work. They want to they do something that's a very positive thing. And God in his providence and in his sovereignty and his love and his grace and his mercy says, no, you're not going to go there. You're not going to do that. And then he, he gives Paul this vision of a man from Macedonia saying, Come over here and help us, right? And what help does Paul have? Paul has the gospel. 
is the good news of Jesus Christ. He has the, 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 the news of this Jesus who, who lived our life, died our death, and rose again, making full atonement for our sins and giving us the hope of glory in the work of Jesus Christ. And so, so he hears this, he sees this, and so they go to Macedonia. They go to Philippi. And they go to the city. They're there for a few days. They go outside the city, and they see this gathering of women uh, uh, there in this prayer meeting out on the side of the river. Now, if you were to walk by that, that meeting, if you were to go by there, it would have just looked like a picnic probably. It wouldn't have looked that impressive. It, wouldn't, it, it wasn't like, you know, they had signs up and a website and all of that kind of stuff saying, hey, we've got a, um, a Jewish sort of prayer meeting going on out here beside the river uh, every Sabbath. Um. No. So they they go out there, they see this, and they take this as an opportunity because they're Jewish men. They have an opportunity to speak, and so they speak, and Paul preaches the gospel. And this woman, Lydia, who's called a God-fearer, that means that she is someone who worshipped the God of the Old Testament, but she was not actually ethnically Jewish herself. Um. And for the first time in her life, she hears about the righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, and she believes. And she's so swept up with this that that her household comes to faith, and she must have been a woman of means because she invites Paul and the team to come and stay with her. She got up on a Sabbath day as a God-fearer, as someone who, who had some inkling, about the Old Testament and and what was going on there. And when she went to bed that night, she was a believer in Jesus. Pretty profound. And all of this, the result of God leading and frustrating the plans of Paul and his friends. So after Lydia comes to faith, she must... uh, They go about in the marketplace and they come across a a young woman who uh, is demon-possessed. She has an evil spirit that uh, uh, is used because she's enslaved not only to this uh, evil spirit, but enslaved to owners who use that uh, spirit of divination to make money. And day after day, as they walk through the, the marketplace, she goes after them saying, these men are, are, are believers in the one true God. So she must have interrupted Paul a lot because it says he became greatly annoyed. <laughs> Greatly annoyed. It's interesting to think of this, uh, you know, Paul the Apostle being greatly annoyed, right? Um, and, but he's not necessarily annoyed at her so much as he is annoyed at the Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, he very powerfully casts that demon out. Now, we're not told that this woman joins the church. We can, we can make some assumptions about that. Um, but again, probably not the kind of person that you would think, I'm, I need a core group to get a church started. I want to get somebody who was demon-possessed, uh, <laughs> told fortunes, because in my limited experience with this, folks who had these kinds of experiences don't just suddenly come uh, totally healed. There's some mental and psychological residue from this experience that has to be worked out, right? And 
she was, uh, this was how she made her living, and now the church has a mercy case right off the bat where they're going to have to provide for somebody who has needs. Well, their, her owners did not appreciate that, and so they falsely accused Paul. They, they take them, bring them to the magistrates. They strip their clothes off of them, and we're just told in a very matter-of-fact way they're beaten with rods. taken and locked away in the inner part of the prison in stocks. Now, you know, we're, when, when you hear that, we, we, the writer of this, of the, of the Acts, Luke here, just simply matter-of-factly reports this abuse and this brutality. I know, and we know that from reading from Paul, that he counted suffering uh, as a, in the, for the name and for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ, as a privilege. And he even talked about having some joy in that. But even that, as you do that, as you experience that, that realization, that spiritual reality, doesn't keep your nerves from hurting when you're hit with a stick. Okay? It's a very painful, challenging, difficult thing that he experienced. Humiliating, too. So there they are at midnight, singing and praying. I'm sure one of the things they were praying was for the, the gospel to, to go forward even in the midst of their suffering and that God would, would, would protect them and set them free. But And what, lo and behold, there's an earthquake, their chains fall off, the, the doors fly open, and the assumption by the jailer is that everybody's going to escape. So he's going to kill himself. Paul calls out to him and says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. We're all still here. And here, this man who maybe even participated in the beating, certainly participated in locking them into the stocks, now comes to his former prisoners, gets down on his knees, and says, what must I do to be saved? Paul proclaims the gospel to him. He believes in his household as well. Now, this jailer is probably probably a, a, a retired soldier, probably a retired official from the Roman government. And so now you have your core group of this church. You have a wealthy woman, uh, Gentile woman, uh, who uh, was inclined uh, to the Old Testament. You have a formerly uh, demon-possessed young woman who was a slave. And now you have a jailer. I was thinking about this. Um, two two things popped into my mind about that about ministry. One one is that um, uh, you know you, when uh, when you try to plant a church, one of the things you do is you want to. This is going to sound terrible, but bear with me. You want attractive people to come to your church. You want you want pe- you want people who are going to be. Uh, at, at one of the training things I did, you know, they're, they're like, you don't want the guy standing at the door eating the donut with the, the sugar all down his shirt, right? But for some reason, we have a lot of those, <laughs> right? And so, so, the, so the fact is the attempt to get the cool kids to come, you know, not that y'all aren't cool, but the, it, it, over the years, my experience has been, ah, this person would be an ideal person to get to come to the church. It never works out. It never works out. 
Uh, uh, and I don't, I don't know why, I don't know why that is, but here God is sovereignly planting a church with three kinds of people who could not be any more different. So, so you hear that, and it, this doesn't touch us very much, but just imagine being invited to a small group, to a yard group in Philippi, and you go to the yard group, and uh, there's a rich lady, there's a formerly demon-possessed girl who probably has some mental issues, and there's a blue-collar jailer. And that's your small group. You're going to go back to the small group pastor at your church and say, there's nobody in this small group like me. I'm not going to go to this group, right? Does anybody do that around here? No, nobody does that, right? So, so, the, so the fact is, this, is, this is one of those things where you look at this and you're like, nobody who wants to write a book on how to get a church planted is ever going to write a book where it says, do it this way. And yet, God in his sovereignty and in his grace and his mercy wanted the kingdom of God to advance, and he does it. Now, it's interesting, as we'll see as we unpack Philippians in the coming weeks, one of the things to note about it is, is that when Paul writes Philippians, he's in jail. He's in jail. And so, so here, a church that got founded by a man who was jailed as a result of his proclamation of the gospel some 10 years later, is going to be in jail again, this time uh, in, a, in a very serious, uh, much more serious situation. Uh, and yet, what a connection it is to this church, right? So what are we, what are we to, to take away uh, from this? Well, we must never forget that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God for salvation for those of us and those we love who... Uh, uh, are trusting our dead works to be made right with God. The gospel is the power of salvation to those who are oppressed, both uh, spiritually but also the, uh, and emotionally, but also those who are oppressed uh, by an economic and a political system. Thirdly, the gospel is the power of God for salvation uh, for uh, folks who um, might even be oppressors themselves, right? The jailer. And so as we look at this, you know, the way we kind of categorize people and the way we kind of categorize things, the gospel cuts across all of that, and the church cuts across all of that. I mean, what this, this, this suddenly, this community, I mean, just imagine the people in Philippi who, after Paul and Silas have moved on, see this group of people begin to meet together and, and, and they see a rich woman, a formerly a demon-possessed woman and a uh, jailer and their families come together and found a church singing praises to God and having this, this ministry of proclaiming the good news of Jesus there in Philippi. What a, what a powerful and profound picture uh, that must have been for people, right? So the message of the cross can reach anyone at any time, right? And it is the renewing force for life, even in the face of dead works, those religious people who think that that's what's going to save them, those who are under demonic and cultural and emotional oppression, the gospel is is the light in that darkness, and even when the government comes and tries to oppress the proclamation of the gospel and oppress uh, 
the proclamation of the truth, uh, it goes forward. There, there's a lot of fear in this church because there's a lot of fear uh, in this community, right? We're, we're afraid. We're afraid of um, losing freedoms. We're afraid of uh, losing uh, all sorts of things, right? This church was planted uh, in the midst of uh, this church uh, here in Philippi was planted in what could not have been any more of a disrupted situation, right? Uh, the gospel went forward anyway. Are you afraid today? Are you overwhelmed? Do you think God can't do something in a pandemic or in a time of disruption and unrest? Do you think Jesus is afraid? Do you think he's afraid of what's going on? When I said that at 9 o'clock, a little girl in the back said, no, Jesus is not afraid. course he's not. Should you be? We're weak and small. Uh, we are, we are, uh, it's, it, we struggle, but the gospel is still the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's true. It will always be true and it will always be effective and it will always do the work that God intends for it to do. Even for those that we think would be the most impossible to reach, even those that we think would be the coldest, most uninterested, the gospel is still the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, even when things are hard. That has not changed, and that is our hope. And that is the reason for us, and that is the reason why Paul can say over and over again that he has joy even in the midst of challenging circumstances, because it's true. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. And that is the ultimate source of our joy. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need a sense of this today. I pray that you would help us. Um, we are so easily uh, knocked off track, and yet uh, you, uh, you did your work there in gathering this group of people uh, to be uh, a church. Lord, the fact uh, that uh, we exist as a church today uh, is due to your work, due to your sustaining power, and due uh, to the work that the gospel does and has done. Would you give us confidence and joy in that today, even as we struggle and even as we find ourselves uh, um, unsure, unclear, um, angry, tempted to bitterness, discouragement? Help us to not give our hearts to false gods, but to hear and see the good news of Jesus as uh, the breaker of our chains, the one that sets us free from dead works and 
uh, the one who uh, moves us um, in compassion and love for one another. Would you help us in that today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess our sins together by using the confession of sin that's printed there uh, in the bulletin. Would you pray with me? Merciful God, we have sinned in what we have thought and said, in the wrong wrong we have done, and in the good good we have not done. You proclaim the gospel of God, but we have been slow to repent. Forgive our cold hearts. You said the kingdom was at hand, but we have been slow to trust. Forgive our unbelief. You called us to follow you, but we are given to our own way. Forgive our rebel lusts. Forgive us for our Savior Christ's sake and renew our lives to the glory of your name. Amen. Believers, hear these words of encouragement. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.